0: me, I'd love to talk to you and find out how you ended up here today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And if you're new to church or you haven't been coming here very long, I just want to let you know that that version of the Bible that we use on Sunday mornings is the English standard version, the ESV. You don't have to use the ESV, but we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. And so if you wanted to follow us exactly, um, there's a, on your smartphone, there's an ESV app. It's, really great app. You can download it really quickly. But if you're in the NIV or NASB or whatever other B you're in, um, that's great. Uh, so you can stick with that one. Um, just letting let you know, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today, so it'll match up close enough. Um, okay, so let me just jump in today. Let me ask you guys something. Um, what, what, actually, try to think of this. What is the wisest or most beneficial thing anyone's ever said to you? Think about it for something. Does, does anything pop in your mind? The wisest or most beneficial thing anyone ever said to you? Can you remember? Is anything like that popping in your mind? Okay. What's, some, what's the, what's like the worst, the most negative, the most hurtful thing anyone's ever said to you? Anything pop in your mind now? Right? We're not going to focus on that today, but isn't that human nature? I bet more of you could think of the hurtful thing than the beneficial thing. Is that not true? I'm not even giving you a hard time. That's a whole nother sermon. That's probably a whole nother sermon series. We're not going to be talking about that today, but it's to make a point. We tend to remember the negative things, but we don't always remember the positive things. It's just who we are. And so for those of you that, that could remember one of, at least one of the most beneficial, wisest things anyone ever said to you, let's, let's stick with the wise, beneficial thing for a second. If you, if you thought of something, what was the most beneficial, beneficial thing something said to you last month? Not that long ago, right? Three, four weeks ago. What was the wisest, most beneficial thing you, you heard, you felt, someone said? Can you think of anything a month ago? It's not that long. I'm sure there was things that you heard that were good in the, a month ago, right? But can you think of it? Anybody? I'm getting a few nods. Not very many. Most of them are like either blank looks or like, I don't think so. Okay, how about this? What was the best thing, most beneficial thing, wisest thing somebody said to you in January of 2020? Now, I lost everybody in the room on that one, right? January 2020. It's not that long ago, a year and a half ago. Something, something, something really awesome said to you right before COVID hit. Right, I, I'm trying to make the point of we don't remember things, do we? Even some of the best things. I said, for some of you, what's the most beneficial, wisest thing, or at least one of the most wise things anyone has ever said to you? And it's like, hmm. Do you know how many people have said wise things to you in your lifetime? But we can't think of one because, listen, that's just who we are. We forget things. We don't hold on to things. And so um, I thought a lot about today, about our series on Exodus. If you haven't been with us, we're in the last week. Welcome to Freshwater. You're at the very end of the the, the sermon series, right? So it's actually a good time for you because we're going to be wrapping up one and we're getting ready to start another one, right? But I, I, was, I was thinking, like, this is the last week. This is the recap. This is wrapping up the whole series. I had a lot of different things that I thought maybe we could do, maybe I could say. But, um, but then I remembered our human nature. And I know that God did a lot of really good things in our people's hearts through this series. 34 weeks. This is the 34th week. I know God spoke to you and stirred in your heart, and there are weeks that you walked out of here thinking, man, I know I can do this for the Lord, or I got to believe in God in this, or God just convicted you or stirred in your heart, drove you to repentance. All of these great things have happened over the last 34 weeks, and I bet you can't remember most of them. This is who, that's just who we are. And so here's what we're going to do today. We are going to read a lot of Scripture. I'm going to preach some. I'm going to teach some. But today is going to be a day where we're going to read scripture to remind us of who God is, to remind us of what God has done, and to remind us of who we are in him. Because here's the, here's the thing, I just proved it to you, no one is going to remember my sermons five years from now. Maybe there'll be one that you'll remember fondly and you'll go back and listen to or something. Maybe one. But you know what's going to stand the test of time? Exodus. God's word. God's word will not be forgotten. My words are going to be long forgotten and... and, and 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, and 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember my name, but we're still talking about the book of Exodus 4,000 years later. Amen? So we're just going to walk through Scripture. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to walk all the way to the end. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to pick select passages, right? And because I, I want you just to be reminded, I want you to have your heart stirred. And if you're here for the first, first time, I want you to see what we walk through in this book of Exodus and maybe have your heart stirred today so that we can walk out of here, not focused on what I said, but focused on what God's Word said and the things that we can hold on to. That's what we're going to be doing today. So the reason I had to turn to Genesis 12 is we're going to start with the covenants that God made with Abraham. The promises that God made to Abraham. I want you to hold on to these. I want you to know where these are in the Bible. Because basically all the promises that are being fulfilled in Exodus are made right here in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. They're all either being fulfilled in Exodus or they're beginning to be fulfilled in Exodus and that will be pulled through the rest of the Bible all the way to Jesus and all the way into when Jesus returns. Like this is, this, is not, this is the story of the Bible that we see playing out in Exodus so, I want you to be, whole, be able to hold on to those things. And as we go through these verses, I'm going to point it out, but I want you to see the themes, the themes of Exodus God's covenant faithfulness, that God is faithful to you, God is always faithful to you. Our second theme, God's deliverance, that God delivers his people. He is for his people. And then our third theme of God's presence. God is with you, Christian. If you are in here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in God, he is with you. He is for you and he wants to be with you. Like he wants to be near you. The God of the universe wants to be near you. And we're gonna see that through Exodus. And then lastly, I want us to see that the overall picture of what Exodus is about, which is God's glory. God's glory going forth to his people. God's glory going forth to the world. God's glory being made known so that people might know him. You'll see that in Exodus. What a beautiful thing. God's glory wants his, God wants his glory to go forth, not just so people will worship him or know him or somehow he needs people to come to him. No, God's glory going forth leads to people knowing him drawing near to him, becoming more like him, being molded and shaped into his image. God's glory going forth is the thing that we need. It's the beautiful thing about the Bible and who God is. He wants us to know him. So I want us to see that. And by the end of the day, I'm praying that through the reading of God's word, that the Holy Spirit in you, Christian, would just stir your affections, for, your affections for Christ and you would literally walk out of here feeling nearer to God than when you walked in. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. And so we're going to start in the covenants with Abraham. We're going to see his name Abram and his name later changed to Abraham. Covenants that God is promising that he will, he will build his people, that he'll rescue his people, that he'll be with his people, that he'll spread his glory and salvation to his people and then to the world, the world. Again, the covenants that will be answered in Exodus. So look at the first one, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Exodus, or not Exodus, sorry, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, did I mess you up? Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And promise number one, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you already see how these are being, a lot of these are going to be fulfilled in Exodus? I'll make a great nation out of you. I'll make a great people out of you. Remember, Abraham was a guy who couldn't have kids. Old man couldn't have kids. Yet God said, not only am I going to give you a son, but I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless people who bless your nation, who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who dishonor you. We also see that play out in Exodus too, don't we? Do you remember Abraham's great great grandson did I get that right great grandson whatever but anyway his descendant Joseph goes into Egypt and Egypt's for Joseph and Joseph's for Egypt and what happens to Egypt they're blessed but then they eventually they turn on Joseph they turn on Joseph's people they turn on the people of God and what happens curse promises God fulfills and the last promise I'll bless all families on earth through your line that's the promise of Jesus Christ Jesus comes through the line of Abraham, through the people of God. Eventually, every nation on earth can believe and have salvation through Jesus Christ. God's making big promises. Flip over to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. And we'll look at verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14 in Genesis 15. It says this. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. Where's that? Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. How long were Israelites in Egypt? 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. We're going to see the judgments. We're going to see that they come out with great possessions, right? God's making these big promises, very specific promises, at least 500 years before the the exodus actually even happened. And then turn to Genesis 17, we We'll read verses 7 and 8, and Genesis 17, verses seven and eight. says, and I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Just in this, we see God already saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to keep my promises to you. Everlasting covenant. That's the old covenant. Testament really means old covenant, like the, co- the covenant the people are going to agree to, right? God's saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to have a covenant with you. He's like, I'm going to, he's promising to deliver the people. You're going to be in a land that's not yours, but I'm going to deliver you there. And God's promising, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you a land of your possession. And listen, the land in Canaan, the promised land, is really about God being with his people. A land where he will be their God, and they will be his people. God's promising his presence among his people. We see all this just in Genesis And then we immediately see it start playing out in Exodus. Flip over to Exodus 1. And we'll see the first promise immediately fulfilled right at the beginning in verse 7. Exodus 1, verse 7 says this. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Did that not fulfill a promise right away? From Abraham and his wife that couldn't have a baby to a great people, to a great family as Joseph comes in with his family and now they're an enormous people group just as God would promise, God had promised. But it caused a problem in Egypt, didn't it? They got so big, they got so, they were so fruitful, they multiplied so much that Egypt started to fear them. Feared that they might partner with the nations around them and try to cause trouble for Egypt so what did they do to the people? They enslaved them. They were a people of blessing when they came into Egypt. Joseph brought blessing to Egypt, and Egypt blessed Joseph's family, just like God promised. But then they turned on them, they enslaved them, and they still didn't stop their growth. So then, after their growth still was going, what, what did Pharaoh decide to do? Kill the firstborn sons. Which is how Moses ends up in the Nile, right? In that basket. Moses' mom has him, knows that Pharaoh's gonna kill him, so she puts him in the basket and just prays to God, God take care of him. Then Pharaoh's daughter finds him, takes him up and makes Moses basically an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, but she raises him in the house of Pharaoh. And so Moses grows up with this kind of torn identity, right? He's, he's kind of half Egyptian, half Hebrew, and he doesn't know what to do with it, obviously, because one day he sees one of the slaver Egyptians beating a Hebrew, beating an Israelite, and what does he do? He kills them and buries them in the sand to try to hide it. Moses, the hero of Exodus, the hero of the Jewish people, really? Like, before, before Jesus, even to today, for the Jewish people, there's Moses and Abraham. Who's, who's greater in the sight of the Jews? I don't know, but that's at the top, Moses and Abraham. Moses is a murderer, and so he has to run, right? Anytime you think you're too far from God, you remember one of the greatest men in the Bible was a murderer. You're never too far gone which God's going to prove to Moses in here in just a minute. So Moses, Pharaoh's trying to kill Moses now because he's murdered one of his men. He runs. He has to run. He leaves Egypt, the only place he's ever known. He's left both his people. The Egyptians are kind of his people. The Israelites are definitely his people. And he runs, and he ends up in the land of Midian, where he, down south, where he meets his wife. And he meets his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he becomes a shepherd. And in this society, a shepherd's basically the lowest rung of society. From a prince of Egypt... To a, to a felon, to a murderer, and a shepherd. And so at the end of Exodus 2, we kind of see where things lie. Look at the end of Exodus 2 in chapter, Exodus 2, verse 23 and 25, two, through 25. Exodus two twenty three says this, during those, days, many, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I've always loved that phrase, God knew. Not just that he knew about their suffering, but God knew them. They're his people, and he's made promises to those people. So he's gonna come deliver those people just as he promised he would. How did God accomplish that? Well, remember one day that guy Moses, right? That shepherd, that murderer, that nobody now is walking shepherding his flock and he sees a burning bush and God begins to speak to Moses through that burning bush and God begins to tell Moses what he's going to do with his life and what was Moses' reaction? Anyone but me. Basically, God, don't you know who I am? I can't speak well. I can't do this thing well. I've run away. Like, why would you choose me? Don't choose me. I don't want to do this thing. You don't feel adequate to do the things that God's called you to do? Well, welcome to the club. Moses, Moses felt the same way. If Moses felt that way, it's okay that sometimes you don't feel like you're enough, that you don't feel like you're good enough. It's okay, you're not. He's going to tell him what that, that you're going to see that Moses isn't good enough. It's not about him being good enough, it's about God. So this is what, in Exodus 3 verse 7, Exodus 3 verse 7 is Moses having this debate with God about how he's not good enough and how the people won't listen to him and how he can't do this. This is what God says in Exodus 3 verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. So you see all of it right there God's promising to, to fulfill his covenant to his people to be faithful to, to deliver them and to be with them I'm going to give them a land and I'm going to be their God I'm going to be with them and what's Moses response again he responds in fear look at chapter 3 verse 13 Then Moses said to God if I come to the people of Israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name what shall I say to them this is not Moses like hey God tell me your name so I can tell the other people he's like God, like, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say your name is? He's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. And so what does God say? The best response ever. God says to Moses, I am who I am. It's all capitalized. This is all like God's name. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Listen, being in the presence of God is about knowing God. And God wants his people to know him. No, he's never told anyone else's name until now, right? He's never told anybody else, my name is Yahweh, I am. And so when Moses is scared, he's saying, I am everything. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. Before everything, I was. And after everything, I am. I am is with you. This is a powerful moment for Moses. It's not just him knowing God's name. It's him knowing God. It's knowing God's power, his presence, and that this God is going to be with him. Same God who's with you. Same God that's with you. I am will be with you. You tell him that I've come. Because listen, in Exodus, and we see the rest of the Bible, knowing God's name is knowing God. God's name and his glory in Exodus is an interchangeable thing, right? This is about knowing who he is. Not just knowing a name, but knowing God. We're going to see this later with Moses when he has to see God's glory. It's about knowing God. And so he tells them, I am has sent you. Then he says something else interesting to Moses in chapter 4, verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22, he says this to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Right from the beginning of this, while they're still at the burning bush, God is telling Moses what it's going to take for Pharaoh to let his people go. Say, no, this is my family. That's how God sees us. This is my family. These are my sons. This is my firstborn son. And if you don't let, Pharaoh doesn't let them go, I'm gonna take their firstborn sons. God already knows what it's gonna take. He already knows where this is going to end. And so he tells Moses now, and Moses will tell the people, and eventually Moses will go before Pharaoh and say the same thing so that everyone will see this is about God. This is about his glory. This is about his sovereignty. From the very beginning, Moses is going to make clear that this is about God and his plan, that God knows, that this is about God's glory. God wants everyone to see who is in control, who is really God, because this is not Moses just going up against Pharaoh. We'll see very clearly this is Moses going up against the false Egyptian gods. In this world, the world is ruled by a multitude of gods, and God is saying, no, I am the I am. I am the one and only God. And just with this one statement, he's showing that he is over and sovereign over everything. Over everything. So we're going to see the fulfillment of what the I am is going to do. So Moses goes back. He takes Aaron with him. God gives him his brother Aaron and says, He'll help you speak. And so they go back and they go to the people, and the people are excited and they worship. They're like, God's here for us. He heard our prayers. And then Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh for the first time and confront him about letting the people go. And how did that go? Do you remember? It went terrible. Like, they were faithful. They did exactly what God, Moses said, I can't do this. I can't do this thing, God. But he's like, okay, I'll go. He's, he, he gears up just enough faith to walk into that room, and it goes terrible. Moses doesn't, or Pharaoh doesn't believe. He doesn't listen. In fact, he increases the workload of the people who are already being crushed tremendously. It goes terrible. And so he walks out to meet with the people, and we see that in Exodus 5, verse 20. Exodus 5, verse 20, it says this. They met Moses and Aaron, the people, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Church, I think this was an amazing reminder for me, for a lot of you, is that sometimes we follow God completely faithfully. We do what his word says, we we do what we think he's leading us to do, and it goes badly. Does that all, all of a sudden mean we did the wrong thing or that God's not faithful? It went really badly for Moses. They're like basically cursing him. The people that were worshiping and so thankful just a moment ago, are now cursing his name basically, saying, God, judge you for this. And he did the faithful thing. Because remember, sometimes we'll, we'll do the faithful thing. We'll do the right thing. We'll continue to do the good thing. And it won't always go the way that we think it's going to go. That's why we have to hold on to God's covenant faithfulness. We have to believe that God is faithful because Moses can't see the bigger picture, can he? And the people can't see the bigger picture yet, can he? But God was working all things out for good. Even Egypt's sin, even the people's sin, even Moses' failures, if he had any failures, even in all his weakness, God is working it all out for good. Thank God for Exodus that we get to see the bigger picture and see how God works all of this out for great, miraculous things. And I know in your life, you don't always get to see the bigger picture, but God is in control. That's what Exodus is showing us. He loves you. He cares for you. And even if you can't see it, he is working things out. And I know, hey, listen, if you're here today, if you're in the midst of terrible suffering, it's really hard to hear somebody saying, well, God's working all things out for good. And that's a hard thing to hear. And so, listen, if you're encountering someone who's at the lowest of the low going through their suffering, don't let that be the thing that comes out of your mouth. Let it be, I'm with you. I love you. We'll get through this together. God loves you. I love you. Tell me what you need. I'm here. That's what you say. But eventually it needs to get to this, eventually. God loves you and he's working all things out. Trust him, have faith in him. And we see this even with Moses, it seems it couldn't get any worse. And then God kind of encourages Moses, he encourages the people and kind of gives us the heart of the book of Exodus in Exodus 6, verse two. Let's look at Exodus 6, verse two. We're gonna read through verse eight. This is really what this book is about. This is the heart of the book. Exodus 6, verse two. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord God is faithful to his promises. God is with those who trust him. And what we're really seeing in this story, and what he's saying right here, I'm going to deliver you from the kingdom of Egypt. I'm going to deliver you from the kingdom of slavery into my kingdom. That's what, that's why we call this kingdom to kingdom, because that's what God does. That's what God being a deliverer means. He's done the same thing for you, hasn't he? Like we were lost to the kingdom of Satan. We were lost to the the slavery of sin. That's what we're lost to. That's what the Bible says. You are enslaved to sin. You are incapable of moving past it. You are in the kingdom of the enemy, in the kingdom of Satan, whether you know it or not. But God came to rescue you, to save you, to deliver you into his kingdom. The kingdom of peace, of joy, of the newness of life. Listen, God wants you to have newness of life. He, He wants you to have peace not to be enslaved, not to be held down by all these things, not to be the same person again and again, but be to deliver to something more, something better, to have peace, to have joy, to have hope, which is what he's done for his people. They are enslaved to the most powerful kingdom in the world. And God's saying, yeah, you're just a bunch of slaves. That's okay, because I got you. I'm going to deliver you. Listen, church, we're enslaved to the most powerful enemy that's ever existed before we know Jesus. But God's saying, my power is nothing. His power is nothing compared to mine. I will deliver you. You can't do it on your own but I will deliver you. That's what God does, because he's a deliverer. And then he's saying, I'm gonna be your God, and you're gonna be my people. And we gotta remind ourselves of that over and over, that we are God's people, because he is our God. He wants to be with us. He wants to be near us. So it comes down to God's presence. We see all of these things again and again and again. So after reminding them of the promises that he's made and reminding them of who he is and who they are, which is so much of scripture, remember who I am so that you can remember who you are, the plagues start to rain down. Again, something he promises in Genesis 15 that would happen, right? I'm going to judge the the land that did this to you. And so the judgment starts coming, and we see the plagues in chapter 7 through 11. And why is God doing these plagues? One for judgment. God is, we're going to see this in a minute, God does not just forget about sin. We can repent and he will forgive sin, but if we don't come to him, God doesn't doesn't just let sin go. He is a judge and there is judgment and the plagues are about judgment, but they're about something else. Look at chapter seven, verse five. Because in chapter six, we saw that God's saying, I'm doing all this so you'll know my name, so you'll know me, so you'll see my glory. But it wasn't just for the Israelites. In Exodus seven, verse five, it says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Again, knowing God, knowing his name, the I am, is all intertwined with his glory. Those things are interchangeable. So God's saying, I'm not only doing this so the Israelites will know me, so they'll know my glory, but so that the world, the Egyptians and the world will know my glory, so they will know who I am. If you follow through the rest of Exodus, we're not going to read it today, but the nations around Egypt and then throughout the world hear about the Exodus. They hear about what the God of the Bible did against the most powerful empire in the world with a bunch of slaves. They hear it and they tremble. They hear about the God of the Bible, and they're like, the God of the Bible did this for his people? Like, they took down the most powerful army in the world to deliver a bunch of slaves? They hear it, and they tremble. And people around, like Jethro, the father-in-law, who's the priest of Midian of a different faith, comes to faith in God, because his glory is going forth to the world, to the things he's doing in Egypt. So then we see all the plagues play out. Then we get to the last plague, the plague of the firstborn. Pharaoh has not let God's firstborn son go. And so the plague of the firstborn, God says, I'm gonna take your firstborn. If you don't let my firstborn go, it's difficult and it's brutal. And that's what we see in Exodus 12. But we also see the Passover. Exodus 12, verse 11. We're not gonna read the whole chapter. I wanted to, but we don't have time. So we're gonna read Exodus 12, 11 through 13. It says this. In this manner, you shall eat it. This is the Passover meal. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Listen, you know what this is about? You remember? God said, be faithful to me and be ready to go as soon as I call. Have your shoes on. Have your staff in your hand, right? Eat with you ready to walk out the door because the the, the exodus is coming. And when I say go, you go. This is another moment that's about faith. Do we have the faith to say, if God says to go, I'm ready to go right now? we're so tied to our debt, we're so tied to this world, we're so tied to our money and our jobs, what if God says to you, go? Would you go? Man, we all want to say yes. I know everyone in this room, or virtually everyone in this room, wants to be able to say, yes, I would go. But l- the truth is, we're so tied so tightly to this world, because in the reality, we don't trust God to be in control. We want to be in control, right? It's just true. It's okay. We just got to own it, and we repent of it. We want to hold on to everything, Because I used to be the same way. I was a pharmaceutical salesman for 13 years. I thought the rest of my life would be a salesman. And then God said, I want you to change everything. Please, go. And I wasn't ready two years before that. But at that point, praise God, he'd got my heart to be ready. And everything in my life is different than it was before. Nothing in my life other than my wife and my family is what I thought it would be. And it's better. It's not easier. He didn't call Moses to easy. And he definitely didn't call me to easy. But it's better. There's more peace. There's more joy. There's more fulfillment. Not easy. Nothing in life that is really good is easy. And so this is about faith. He's saying, Trust me, you be ready to go. I know it's the most powerful kingdom in the world. I know you're up against Pharaoh. I know you have no hope on your own, but I am with you. You be ready, because I am coming and I will deliver. Because that's who our God is. He is a deliverer. No matter what the circumstance. And his way is better, no matter what the circumstance. Let's keep going. It says it is the Lord's Passover. For verse, verse 12, 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. He's making a statement there. They're not gods. They are false gods. I am the Lord. I am God. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the fulfillment of what God said would happen in Exodus 4, the burning bush to Moses, and what he told Pharaoh would happen, and all of Egypt gets to see the glory of God in this moment because it's exactly what God said it would take for them to be set free. This is about judgment for sin. You know what else it's about? Unbelievable grace and mercy for those who are faithful to God. You know what this is really about? This, this judgment here is about sin. It's about the sin of the Egyptians. But do you think the Israelites are free of sin? Like, like, they were like, praise God, we are with you, God. We're with you, Moses. Right, one thing goes bad. We're against you, Moses. How dare you? They, things are going terrible. They, they flip-flop constantly, right? It's not like they're without sin or they're better than the Egyptians. But no, God provided a way for them to be protected, to be forgiven, for their sins to be passed over by the blood of the lamb take the blood of this lamb and you put it over your doorpost and when i see that i'll, I'll pass over you and judgment won't come to your household and this is pointing all the way forward to jesus christ who is called our sacrificial lamb do you deserve the forgiveness that god's given you like i, like I said before we just suck our lives just against the 10 commandments this is the easy ones just the top 10 and listen you're a liar and so am I. I have lied. I've lied even after I knew very clearly what God has called me to. I've lied. That's just one. We're all going to fail the other, the other ten too. Especially if you put the way Jesus views the Ten Commandments. So you put that in there. We're all guilty. We all need rescuing. We all need deliverance. We all need God to pass over our sins. Because he is a judge. Look at Exodus and see how seriously God takes these things. He takes it seriously. Sin is serious. It matters. Eternity is at stake, but God will pass over your sin through Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth. So I always say, I don't want fair from God. Sometimes things happen in this world and they just don't seem fair, but I don't want fair. I want grace. I want mercy. I want forgiveness for things I know I don't deserve. That's who our God is for those who have faith in him, those who trust in him, those who believe in the blood of the lamb will cover their sins. It's just beautiful Beautiful display. People think of the judgments of Exodus, but this is really about grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. And then we see as they exit Egypt after the prophecies are fulfilled and the Passover happens, we see prophecy fulfilled once again. Look at Exodus 12. Stay there and look at verse 35. Exodus 12, verse 35 says this. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they, so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Skip down to verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt the exodus. Just as God had promised. You're going to leave with great possessions. The man, they plundered the Egyptians. Gold, jewelry, everything that they needed, and way more. And after 400 years, a little over 400 years, God was faithful. He said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be in a land that's not your own, but you're going to plunder. You're going to have everything that you need. I'm going to take care of you, and then you're going to leave after 400 years. It's exactly what we see happen. Promises from over 500 years before. So They leave they start heading out into the desert. And for the first time, we really see God begin to be with his people for his presence to start to come near. Look at Exodus 13, verse 21 and 22. Exodus 13, verse 21 says this, and the Lord went before them by a, by a pillar by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So already, like, they've not had this before, right? God is with them. He's, like, out there in front of them. So often, even in Genesis, but particularly in Exodus, God's presence as seen as smoke and fire, right? And so with smoke and fire, he's leading his people. His presence is, his glory is leading his people to where they need to go. They don't know where they're going, but he's leading them forth. He's leading them forth. And then again, Exodus 14, verse 18 tells us, shows us again what this book is really about. Verse, in Exodus 14, 18, and the... Oh, wait, you know what? I skipped ahead. Hold on. Before that, look at Exodus 14, 4. Exodus 14, 14. Are you with me? I've said seven different things. Exodus 14, 14. I love this. The Lord will fight for you. You only, you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Do you remember what's happening by this point? Why he says that? You know that, that empire's army, the greatest force in the world? Pharaoh's changed his mind. He's chasing the people down. They see the chariots. They see Egypt coming to kill them. And now they're trapped against the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go. Can you just imagine that moment for a minute? Even if you have incredible faith in God, you've left. He said he would deliver you. He said you were going to be fine. And you get to the Red Sea, about the point where you're, you're, getting, you're far enough away where you think you're good to go. And then the greatest army in the world is following up behind you, wanting to slaughter you. You think you might've wavered in that moment? No matter, even if you saw a pillar of smoke and fire leading you day and night. But what's God's response to that? It's not in this moment, have more faith. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. I love that in Psalms where it says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we feel like there's so much turmoil in our life, so much suffering, so much going on that we don't know where to go. We feel like we're drowning. Like they're afraid of being killed or drowning in this moment, right? But sometimes we just need to be still. Be still. And listen to the Lord and be silent and trust and pray and believe that he is with us, that he is for us, that he has got us. It's so hard in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the hurt. But the Lord will fight for you. And then again, verse 18, when we see why God is doing so many of these things, Exodus 14, verse 18 says this, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the end, this is what this book is about. God's glory going forth. Him doing all these things so people will know who God is. Skip down to verse 21. Exodus 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Not just ground where the sea parted, but dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right, and on their left. Can you imagine this moment? I know we've heard it before. Again, I said this last time, go watch Prince of Egypt so you can picture it. It's so good, right? It's so good, right? But can you imagine this moment? Th- this is the kind of moment where a lot, I think a lot of us have thought, man, if I ever saw, saw God work this way, I'd trust him for the rest of my life. I'd never, man, I, 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 would, I would never run away from him again. I would never do anything that God didn't want me to do again. If I could just have a moment like this, I would believe forever, is that how this ends up playing out? We all want that moment, but it's not a moment that truly proves who God is to you. It's about a relationship with him. It's about trusting him. It's about faith. Moments help. Moments can help. Some of us have had moments in our life where God has done something that is unexplainable, that we know he was with us, that he did the miraculous, and they do help. I'm not saying they don't help. That's why Jesus did miracles, to prove who he was, right? But they're not the thing that sustains you. They're not the thing that really shows you who God is. God can show his power, but this is about a relationship. This is about knowing, knowing God. Not just seeing what he can do, but knowing God. But this is a powerful moment, man. This is a powerful moment. Skip down to verse 30 in chapter 14. Chapter 40, or chapter 30, verse 14. Chapter 30, verse 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Even to this point, I think there's still doubt in a lot of the people, but you know what? As we've talked about, some of the people that left very likely were not Israelites. Some of the Egyptians left with them, some of the other people from that, that left with them, and so in this moment, it really just proved to them once and for all that he is the I am, that he is God. It solidified in their hearts who God really is. So they head off into the desert. And pretty much right away, they start complaining about certain things, like we don't have enough to eat. We don't have enough meat. I think to the point where some people even said, why don't we go back to Egypt? We had meat there. Remember how they were slaves and they got treated terrible in Egypt? So what does God do? He's faithful. Exodus 16, verse 4. Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they, whether they will walk in my law or not. So even in this trek throughout the desert, they had to rely on the Lord. He's providing bread from heaven. Crazy. I mean, if that ever happened to you, you'd never turn to the Lord the rest of your life, right? You'd never go to your own way if God would provide bread from heaven. That's amazing. And it was amazing. But also he says, I'm going to give him enough for a day. Don't let them take any more. It actually goes bad if they take more, because it's still about faith. It's about trusting God today. Church, there's so many in this in this room that buy stress from the future. You buy anxiety from the future about what could happen, what might happen, what you think will happen. When the the Scripture teaches, God's given you what you need today. He's given you enough grace for today. I'm not saying don't plan for the future. Don't think about the future. I'm not saying that either. Scripture doesn't teach that either. But so many of you are anxious, fearful, stressful, worry all the time. Your days are ruined. Your family time is ruined. Your relationships, at least in part, are less than they could be or more ruined because you don't trust God today. But God says, I'm with you today. You've got all you need today. Let me worry about tomorrow. You can't control it. You can't determine what's going to happen then. I know what's going to happen then. You trust me today. This bread is not just bread to prove that God provides for his people, but it's about them learning to trust him every day, every step along the way, when things are awesome and when things are difficult. Because it was difficult. You think it'd be easy trekking through the desert, even though you've been set free? You know, there's an army that comes to attack them, and tries to kill all of them, an army that should have killed them, but because Moses had his hands in the air, that staff raised once again, they won the battle because God was with them. Do you think that would be easy? This isn't about easy. But God says, still, trust me. And God does other miraculous things, like bringing water from a rock and defeating a super powerful army with a bunch of slaves who don't even know, have never been trained to fight ever, but they win because God's with them. Don't buy stress and fear from the future. God's given what you need today. He's given what you need today. Then in Exodus 19, verse 4, we really kind of see the purpose of what God, what God wants for his people. I would say what God wants for you. Exodus 19, verse 4 says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, let's we'll stop there. I want you to see even here, this is not about what they did, right? This is about what God has already done, and so he's asking them to respond. Your faith is not about if you do this, God will do this thing for you. Even here, the Egyptians, the the Israelites, man, they've proven to be fickle people again and again. They don't deserve this kind of love. But God says, because of who I am, because of what I've done, because I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you out, therefore now, therefore, because of that, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I love how God describes his people. Treasured possession. And so often when I talk to people about God, it's like, You've heard me say this before, but I have to say it again and again. It's like they view God as this distant God that puts up with them and has to love them because Jesus died for them. And because Jesus died for me, I'm terrible, and I'm the worst person ever, but Jesus died for me, so God has to love me. How does he describe his people? A treasured possession. Other places, my beloved. God calls you his beloved, his treasured possession. That's who you are. He wants these things for you because he loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to see. Yes, he hates sin. He hates sin so much that his son had to come die on a cross to pay for it. That's how serious it is. But he loves you so much that his son came and died on a cross to set you free from the slavery of sin, to set you free from believing that you're not good enough and focused on all that. He, he sets you free to not be a sinner anymore, but to be a saint to be his child, to be his sons and daughters, to be his people. That's who God is. And that's what he makes you. Because of who he is, this is who you become. And because this is who you become, this is what you're called to, to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. Remember what holy means? To be set apart. He wants his people to be set apart. To look different from the world around them, so they might reflect his glory to the world, so they might reflect his image to the world. That's still who we're supposed to be now, church, to be set apart. Yes, we need to be apart and engaged in our culture. We need to go out and, and not be a, a, a holy huddle, like with arms around everybody, trying to protect them from everything. But we are to be set apart, a light in the darkness a kingdom of priests, people who are willing to take the, the glory of God to a dark world. That's what the event yesterday was supposed to be about, right? Not, not that we're better or we're somehow need. Man, we're just supposed to take the light. That's who we're called to be, to be set apart, to be different, to reflect glory. That's who we are. That's what God wants for his people. So the people hear all this and they hear a lot of God's commands and then Exodus, Exodus 19, verse 7 and 8, they agree to it. Exodus 19, verse 7 says this, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is them agreeing to follow God faithfully. This is the covenant. So after agreeing to this covenant, another major step happens and God's presence coming to dwell among his people. Look at Exodus 19, verse 16. Exodus 19, verse 16 through 18. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a kiln, smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Listen, this is really the first time that God's people have come before him since the Garden of Eden. Yes, they saw the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, but God actually speaks to them in this moment, and they tremble, and they're afraid. Because God is so holy. He is so powerful that they are afraid of his presence because it's just too much for them. They basically say to Moses, Moses, you go ahead and talk to God. Ask him not to do that again. Can you imagine the power that you must have they must have felt in that moment? It's crazy. But this, this is really the first time that God's people, not just Abraham or not just Moses at a burning bush, but his people have come before him since the garden. This is God restoring something. This is God bringing his people nearer and nearer to him. The thing that was lost because of sin. The thing that was broken in the garden because of sin. Separation from God and separation from his presence because we are sinful and he is holy. God is one step at a time restoring this, his presence back to his people who he, who he wants to know him, that he wants to be near. And God is also defining how he will be worshipped. How he will be worshipped. This is training for them about who he is and who they are in him. So then God starts to Moses starts laying out very specifically his commands what this covenant is really about and so in Exodus twenty one through 17 we see the 10 commandments we see don't have any other gods like I am the only God don't don't worship or make idols don't don't steal don't lie don't cheat on your wife like all of those things that we know in the 10 commandments right we see those play out and then in Exodus 21 through 23 we see really play out what we call the civil law like the 10 commandments are really the moral law they'll still stand today right those don't change. But the civil, we see a lot of this, some moral law, but a lot of the civil law play out. Laws that were meant for the Jews at that time, a lot of the laws that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Well, those that end up being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so God, Moses goes up on the mountain and gets these laws for the people, the moral law, the civil law, and he comes back down the mountain, shares them with the people in Exodus 24. Turn to Exodus 24. And the people hear all of this, this law, what God is requiring, and in Exodus 24 3, this is what they say, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Skip down to verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. This is the law. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. This is three times now that they've agreed to follow God's covenant after seeing him do the miraculous. So after this, Moses goes back up on the mountain for 40 days, and God continues to give him law but from chapter 25 through 31. And this is really some civil law, but maybe even the ceremonial law about the building of the tabernacle, about how that's, supposed to, how that's supposed to happen, and what it's supposed to look like, about the priests, about what they're supposed to wear, and about what their role is going to be, right? And so he spends 40 days up in God's presence, laying out the rest of the law, the rest of the covenant, the rest of the commands of God. So while Moses was up on the mountain, what was the people's response to God's kindness and his mercy and his miracles and his salvation and his deliverance and his patience? What was the response to all of those things? Turn to Exodus 32. Moses has been gone a little over a month. And this is God describing to Moses what's happening at the bottom of the mountain towards the end of those 40 days. Exodus 32, verse eight. They have turned aside quickly. I think that's an understatement, quickly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They agreed to the covenant three times. They'd seen God do miraculous things way more than three times, right? It's the miraculous things that prove to us who God is, right? That's what keeps us faithful, right? How quickly they turned, how quickly they decided they wanted to worship their way, how they wanted their life to run their way, how they, they wanted to worship a God who did things their way. And I know, for, if you weren't here, I know a golden calf sounds really weird to us. For their time and their culture, this was a normal thing, to, to worship. The world around them worshiped gods just like this. This is how they did things. So it's crazy weird to us. To them, it wouldn't have been weird, but man, it would have been a crazy betrayal after everything that God laid out. This is described in Scripture as adultery, an adultery against God. They've betrayed Him in the worst way they could almost right away. And we still do this today. I love how Corey said, one of the things I have to start my day with is repenting. We need to realize how quickly we turn away from God if we lose focus on Him. That's why last week we, we talked about what worship is And the week before is, is giving our lives as a living sacrifice. Every day looking at how I can glorify God and focus on God and make Him the central of our life because we lose focus so quickly. Yeah, we're not gonna worship a golden calf, but we are gonna worship what golden calves and other idols meant to those people at that time. They worshiped these things so they'd have good crops, so they'd have a healthy family, so that they would have kids, so that they would, they would be provided for, so they'd have the things that they needed, listen, and they wanted. That's why they were worshiping these false gods because those false gods were tangible and they could kind of manipulate them to get the things that they wanted, to put, almost put gods in, God, the gods in their debt so they would get what they wanted and this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible cannot be manipulated. You can't put him in your debt. His grace will overflow unceasingly for those who have faith in him. He gives good, his good gifts don't ever change for those that love him. But even today, we turn to the things that we trust more than the Lord. We turn to money and we turn to sex. And we, we, don't, we don't give our kids in worship to God. They, they become the idols of our lives. They became the central part of our family. Not, Lord, not the Lord, but our kids, everything that we think they need, our our marriages, our relationships, whatever it might be, those things become the thing that we really put our trust in. And it's not any different than wanting to worship a golden calf. They're just failing to make Jesus, to make, well, well, make God the I am, the center of their life, the center of their worship. So Moses comes down the mountain and he is angry because he is betrayed. God is betrayed. Moses is betrayed. Yet what did Moses do? He interceded for the people in the midst of their betrayal and sin. Oh, church, if, this is, if we could live this way. You know, this murderer, there's nobody's shepherd. God has grown so much now, he's leading over a million people. And when he is betrayed in the worst way possible, when God is betrayed in the worst way possible, what does he do? He intercedes for them in the midst of their sin because he loves them. Oh, church, if we could have that kind of love, the church would be an unstoppable force if we didn't hold things against people, if we weren't always, if, if our first thing wasn't always to be critical and tell people what, what was wrong, if our, if our first reaction wasn't always to, to not forgive, to point out everything that people did wrong, if our first reaction was, well, they don't deserve it, man, I've, I'm writing that person off. I can't, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. What if our first reaction was, I'm going to intercede uh, to Jesus on their, on, on their behalf and not to tell them, mm, I'm going to pray for you. You ever done that? Don't do that, Christian but to actually intercede for them with the Savior who can forgive them, who can wash them clean, who can change their hearts. What if that was the church? What if that was us to, to not think of the negative or how we've been betrayed or the, the critical thought, but to build each other up every chance we get to forgive, to show grace, to show mercy, to intercede on behalf of others. Oh, oh what, what would the church be? Praise God we're at a church where we actually see this play out so often i see it play out but what if this is who we were moses intercedes in the midst of that struggle but in the midst of that struggle man this is hard for moses right can you imagine how hard this is to lead these people in the midst of this he says to god god can i can i see you can i see your glory and god kind of says yes he says you can kind of see me i'll just kind of show you the back if you saw more than that you'd be dead right but i'll show you i'll show you I'll show you some of me. Look at Exodus 34. I love this passage so much. Exodus 34, verse 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. As God comes near Moses, as God reveals himself to Moses, he proclaims his name to Moses. Do you see the significance of that? God coming near to Moses proclaim to Moses who God really is because God is not merciful it's not just that God has mercy God is mercy It's not just that God has grace and forgiveness. God is grace and forgiveness. So as that Moses drew near to God, he saw these things. He knew these things. These things were proclaimed to him because God's name proclaims his glory. This is what I'm begging you to do. This is why I want you to draw near to God. It's not that God needs your glory. You need God's glory. You need God to proclaim his name to you so you'll really know mercy, so you'll really know grace. Not just know it in your head, not just know that you have it in Jesus Christ, but to feel that God is grace. He is mercy. He is love. You are his beloved. You experience God when you draw near. That's what his glory is about. This is why God is calling people to worship him and to experience his glory because this is what you get to know. This is what you get to see. This is who you get to be when you draw to glory like this. Oh, what a good and gracious God we have. This is what he wants for us. This is what Moses experienced when God showed, him, showed himself to him. And we have more than Moses. Through Jesus Christ, we are the temple of God. His presence is with us. We can know more than Moses knew by drawing near to God. We can know him. Oh, church, if you would just long to know him, everything would change. In chapter 35 through 39, we see the building of the tabernacle, the place where God's presence will dwell on earth with his people. And we, right before this, we see the people forgiven. And we see God restore his covenant with his people. He welcomes them back as his family. And hear me, I said this before, the people know what they've done. They know how they've portrayed him. They've seen the consequences of their actions, but God welcomes them back and they worship him. And what does that worship lead to in the building of the tabernacle? The people give so much for the building of the tabernacle, the place where God's presence will be among them, that Moses has to tell them to stop giving that their generosity was so radical, they had to tell them to stop giving. And it wasn't just their money. Remember, they gave their time and their resources. The whole community, when they worship God, when they experience God, when they experience truly his forgiveness and his grace and his restoration of the covenant that they know they didn't deserve, they knew it. That's the point, isn't it? None of us are good enough. They were not good enough, but God restored them and forgave them anyway and that led to a radical generation where the, generosity where the whole community came together and built the tabernacle. Everybody using their gifts, their talents, their time, their resources, their money so that God's presence would come among them. It's beautiful. It's what the church was really, it's such a good reflection of what the church should be. And then God's glory does come. Our last passage for today, Exodus 40. Turn to Exodus 40, and we see the culmination of this entire book. We say this book is about God's glory, which is God's presence. We see the culmination of the whole thing. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Church, what, ha- what had not happened since the Garden of Eden, what had not been possible since sin ripped away the presence of God from us, God's presence had come to truly dwell among his people for the first time. This is such a big deal. This is not just some Old Testament story. This is the beginning. This is the foundation. This is the bedrock for what Jesus Christ would give to us. Because I'm gonna make a bold statement. I don't think... The most important thing that Jesus gave to us was salvation. What he gave to us is God. This was about God himself being given to us. The presence of God to know God and for him to know us. Jesus made us clean on that cross. He was the sacrificial lamb that washed away our sin. And not only that, he not only took our sin, but he gave us his righteousness, gave us his holiness so that we could come into the presence of God where we don't need a tabernacle There's no veil dividing us between us and God that God's presence will come and live with inside of us. We can, as Jeremiah 31 says, know God for who he is will be written on our hearts. That's what we have been given. That's what they couldn't understand in the Old Testament. Church, this is not some Old Testament ancient story, but we're New Testament believers. This is the story of God. This is the story of redemption from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. This is the story of God, not your story, not my story. The story of God and his redemption of his people who he calls his beloved, that he wants to be near to, that he wants to be close to. This is about a plan of redemption, about God delivering us now and delivering us that one day when he comes and welcomes us into heaven when all things are made new. It's about him restoring us into his glorious presence forever. So I just want you to walk away and remember today. Listen, church, God is faithful to you. Through the highs and the lows, even when you don't see, God is faithful to you, and he always has been. God is a deliverer, and he always has been. And God is with you, Christian, and he always has been. Believe it. Trust in it. Walk in faith. Walk in faith when it's hard and when it's easy, when you do understand and when you don't understand. For in the end, listen church, you have nothing to fear. I know that's an easy thing to say and it's a hard thing to hold on to, but you have in Christ, you have nothing to fear. For your God, this God, this magnificent, enormous, huge God is with you. So you have nothing to fear, because in Christ, you have everything you actually need. Everything in this life can be taken away from you. Everything. There are Christians around the world who are being persecuted, and everything is being taken away from them. Everything. Because they love Jesus. But you know what cannot be taken away from them? Jesus. It's all they have. It's all they have to hope in. Right? Being comfortable is the cancer of the church because we don't realize how much we need Jesus, but he is with you. He is for you. You have nothing to fear because everything you need is found in Jesus Christ. For God's glory is filled inside of you if you are a Christian and you love Jesus Christ and it's with you every day. So church, believe in God's faithfulness to you. Believe that God has delivered you and will deliver you on that last day when everything is fully restored and believe God is with you and you'll have everything you truly need. Praise God for books like Exodus. Let's pray. Oh God, we worship you today. How could it be true that a holy, righteous, perfect, all-powerful God who sees everything we've done, who knows everything we've done, who knows everything we've thought, every rotten thought we've ever had, and still looks down at us and says, I want you, my beloved. How can it be? God, I, I know what I've done and what I have thought. How could it be? God, I pray that you would help us to draw near to you today not just because we're supposed to, because we're Christians, but so that we might know. We might know what Moses knew in that moment in your presence. We might know that you are merciful. We might know that you are gracious. We might know that you are abounding in steadfast love. God, help us to come to you and just repent of all of those things that we need to repent of today, to have humble hearts And God, remind us, all of us today, is that repentance is not about just throwing guilt down, but it's about being restored to what you want for us. Hope, joy, peace, fulfillment. That we can be set free from our sin to worship you and have everything that we need. But God, it's hard. It is hard in this world. With all the suffering, with all the distractions. So God, we just pray for your help today. Help us to worship you. Help us to worship you in a way that gives you honor and glory and praise. Help us to worship you in a way that draws us near to you so that we might know and help us to worship you in a way that reflects your glory to a watching world, to a lost world who needs people like us, brokenness and all, to go tell our neighbor, neighbor, to go tell our friend, to go tell someone in Tom Watkins, Jesus loves you right where you are, in your mess. He loves you and he wants you, despite it all, because your God is love. God, we can't be a holy nation or a kingdom of priests without you. But we know in you it's all possible. So God, help. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, Corey and Dwayne are already over there. I'm gonna head over there. If you need to pray, if you need to talk, if you need to confess, if you need us to pray for something else, please come pray with us, come talk with us. We'd love, we'd love to do that with you. Otherwise, why don't you stand and let's worship our Lord together.